And Kelly, I have a quick question for you because you know you're just talking about Captain Marvel's costume, and this is something that LZ and I were actually just talking about. You know, you've debuted a few different looks for Carol. <laughs> do you think her current like normal Captain Marvel suit? Do you think that it has reached a point where it is like her iconic? She will be in it forever, or do you think that there will be a time where she'll kind of move past that suit and get a new one? I. I, I don't know the answer to that because let me tell you a secret. When <laughs> when we were Welcome back to another relaunch. I am Keenan. Oh, wait, no, I'm supposed to use a different name. Yeah, who are you going to be? I am Dr. Bruce Banner. Ooh, I know that's right. And I am Brother Voodoo. And welcome oh. back to another relaunch. Yeah, Brother Voodoo. <laughs> and you know, it's Ooh. cute because you got on the Wonder Man shirt and yes. Brother Voodoo stole his woman. So it's like. Ooh, you know what? Then you know what? I'm going to be Wonder Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, welcome back. Um, how are you doing this week, sir? I'm doing great. Um, you know, it was a little bit of a gloomy day and a little bit of a gloomy weekend here in LA. Um, instead of being so like bright and shiny. So I chilled with my friend, um, one of my best friends, and we watched Doom. Oh and how you doing? I- <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and I wish there was more of that in it because I was so bored. <laughs> oh, no. I, so I haven't oh, watched it yet. I haven't watched it yet. I have a lot of like TV and shows to catch up on. Um, I finally just caught up with the first three episodes of Young Justice last night. Oh, yes. Um, I haven't caught up yet because I was already doing a rewatch. So I'm like just going to keep going. Yeah, just keep going. Um, I still got to like watch the Titans finale. I still got to catch up with Doom Patrol. So I think once I'm finished all of those, then I'll get to Doom. Well, you have to let us know what you thought about it, because um, I will say personally, it's on HBO Max, y'all, if y'all want to watch it and, and stream it. But it was it was boring. It was beautiful. Uh-huh. Beautiful. CGI was also like they, that okay. was nice. <laughs> I'm not, I will give it that to them. It looked great. It looked great. But damn, it was. Did boring. you um? <laughs> did you read the books? I did not. No, I have never read the books before. So um, I was just going in kind of dry and not really knowing too much about it. Um, outside of like the general synopsis of it being about like kind of two warring families, the spice stuff and all that. But um. I kind of went in a little bit blind, but damn, okay. it was, it dragged. Okay, well, I, I, I will pull back after I watch it and see how we see. Yeah. Okay. You let us know. <laughs> um, but while we do wait for that, let's go ahead and get into these comics for the week. Um, Nice little week here. Let's start up first on the list, and that's Nightwing number 85. And this comes from Tom Taylor, and I, because, I'm sorry, I did not read it. Uh, is Bruno Redondo still on the art? Oh, so no, Bruno Redondo was not on the art for this one. Um, mm. The art was Robbie Rodriguez. He is filling in oh, right now for this. I like him. A fierce state kind of tie-in. Yeah. So um, this 
to was the kind of fear state tie-in, everything that's going on with like kind of the Batman books, <clears throat> kind of leading into future state. Um, if you, anyone remembers what was going on in future state, that Gotham was taken over by that uh, that group. I can't remember what they the were magistrate. called. Um, the magistrate, yes. And this is kind of what is leading into that, uh, the fear state. I believe actually fear state also deals with Scarecrow and him like taking over Gotham, which is like one thing that's kind of pulled me back from the Bat books has mm-hmm. been like, They've been just a continuation of some villain takes over Gotham and then like Batman's got to deal with that um, and kind of get a little stale. Mm. But that's kind of what the synopsis of Fear State and currently what's happening now in the Nightwing issue is um, the Oracle system has been taken over. Okay. And now we have uh, Oracle 2, which is where uh, the kind of like a backup system that uh, Babs has, she needs to go and and handle that so um this issue was all about how nightwing and batgirl she put on her uh, a batgirl costume that with this thing that kind of fixed her spine so she can still kind of move around a bit um and how the two of them are going over to oracle 2 to shut it down and take back control of her oracle system and i mean it was a a cute little issue i do have to say that like i don't need to see batgirl barbara gordon batgirl like I, I understand, I understand that she was the original one. I understand that she also has had her legs back for the, like the last like ten years or so. Um, but I just prefer her as Oracle. So I get mm-hmm. that this was like more of a oh let's see her put back on the costume thing. But like I didn't really necessarily need it, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think I've said uh, that before. I never <laughs> need to see Barbara Gordon in that Batgirl costume again. I just, I think she's gotten to the point where, like, it might kind of be, like, a little bit too iconic now. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> moved beyond our means. I don't know if we're ever really going to get to see another iteration of Batgirl, like, in live action. And it's because, like, it's a Gordon. She's a Gordon. I think you're always going to have to have your Commissioner Gordon around. And it's like when you get your Commissioner Gordon, you're going to get, like, your Barbara. And you're going to get some type of... Uh, note of like some type of remembrance that she is Batgirl or was Batgirl. Yeah. Yeah. Um so this was that issue where you're basically reminded again that she was Batgirl. I did like I will say that there was some cool stuff again with Nightwing and his like Escrima sticks, um, where he was able to kind of twist them and uh pop out these this kind of gun thing that shot a smoke pellet so they can kind of fight in smoke, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um and when they get to the Oracle two bunker ends up actually being already laced with this fear toxin and uh batgirl has to kind of shake herself of it but then who shows up to help tim drake was already there and he helps them get out of the fear toxin and they shut down the uh oracle too and she gets back her system but before they can even shut it down um the hacker had already blown up the clock tower and the mm-hmm new Batgirls were at the clock tower in inside, so the next issue we're going to be finding out how they hopefully escaped, and that was uh, Spoiler and Cassandra Kane. I can't. I do, love, I do love me some Stephanie Brown, so shout out to them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm the next issue will probably be about them, and uh, we'll see how they kind of escaped by that explosion and more instruction in them. Uh, but I would give this issue like a 3.5 out of 5. It was solid. 
again, like um, pretty good art by Robbie Rodriguez and um, some cool stuff with Nightwing. But like I said, I'm not. I'm also not a fan of um, Barbara and Dick together, and they like kissed in this issue. Mm. Oh yeah, I don't like, get. I don't get that shit. I'm I'm all about Dick Corey. Same. That's, Which that's, is wild because, awesome. like, even though I want Corey to be single, <laughs> like, nah. obviously I want, like, I like Dick and Corey. Corey can still yeah. be single. <laughs> that's like, that's like, that's like the new age bad cat right there. It's hot. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, they, they, that's a couple. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they like kissing this, and I'm guessing they are maybe back together because Tim was like, oh, finally, after they kissed so. Not finally, but I guess when I guess when it comes to Barbara, she's never really had too many other love interests outside of Dick, has she? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I know there were some randoms in like. Didn't she? Okay, I think I think so. I know that she's had like some random boyfriends in some of her solos, but they were like you know, just a part of the book. No one that was like other actual superheroes or anything. Mm-hmm. Well, shout out to them for the dick. Yeah. Definitely check this out if you are a Batgirl fan and you want some Barbara action. Um, she was pretty cool in this with her fighting and stuff, so check it out. All right. Well, next up on the list is Catwoman number 36, and this comes from Ram V, and we have guest artist Nina Vakuva and Laura Braga. And shout out to Nina Vakuva because she's been doing a lot of stuff. She's also been drawing some of the, um, what book is that? Black Widow issues. When yes. Yeah, and so she's got really good style. Uh, and so this also is a Fear State tie-in. Now, you knew a lot more about Fear State than I did because I had no idea what was going on outside of my <laughs> <actual> stuff. <laughs> um, so opening this issue, I was like, oh, wow. Like, what's going on? But basically, like, Selena is, like, in this space in the alley town. The magistrates have, like, taken over. They're trying to get through. They're trying to get Poison Ivy. And I don't know if people remember when I talked about a few issues ago that uh, they basically rescued Poison Ivy from being experimented on and they've been holding her out. But, like, they're saying she's a part of, like, this whole fear state thing. Like, she is at the root of it. That's why they're looking for her. That's where they're trying to get her. So it's Selena and a bunch of the other villains of Gotham. So we see Penguin, we see Riddler, Knockout, uh, Cheshire is there, Firefly is there. Ooh, Cheshire, okay. Knockout's there, so it's like a bunch of them, and they're working with Selena. Uh, Harley Quinn shows up, and then the new villain, the Black woman, the Gardener, she Mm. also makes an appearance. And so, you know, they're like, we gotta protect Ivy, we can't let these people get her. So that villain with the honeycomb design, she's named the White Witch, she's like tracking them down, they end up getting into this big fight with her, beat her back. Uh, it's a really cute moment because they have Catwoman, Gardner, and Harley Quinn all kind of like fighting her. And it's, oh, cute. it's like a little new kind of like Gotham City Sirens feel. And of mm-hmm. course, like they're protecting Ivy, so it works. And like um, Selena even makes a comment. She says, you know, the Gardner, she's no Ivy, but she's pretty dang good. And so it's like, oh, this is cute. Okay. And she might rejoin the club. Is she going to be like the fourth member? It feels like they're trying to like scoot her in there a little bit. So I was like, I'm here for that. And right. you know, we love a girl that, group. We do. We really do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and at the end of the issue, they kind of beaten back the White Witch, and they know everything's not okay. But we come to find out that apparently there's like this room, and it's a bunch of White Witches. Like the girl has been cloned, or like she's a machine or something. There's like a bunch of her with her little augmented design, and they're about to send her out to come get Selena and crew, so they can get Ivy. Okay. So Ram, not, was this Ram's last issue? 
No, I think he still has two more. I believe 38 okay. is going to be his last issue. Um, we finish off the Fear State story, I think, next issue, and then he has one more. And then it goes over, Teeny Howard takes over the book, and she is sending Selena okay. to the strip club. My favorite place. I know that's so, right. You guys get on now so you can come on for the new. It's going to be hot. All right. Um, I will rate this as also a 3.5 out of 5. A very, like, Catwoman has continued to be a very solid book. I have a newfound appreciation for Selena. I'm going to stick with it once Ramby leaves. We see Selena also kind of dealing with people in Alleytown and just talking about what it means to them, what it means to her, how her presence there has affected them. It's just a, not, a lot of nice moments all around. So check it out. She deserves. Does. All right. Next up on the list is a very exciting new number one that we had. It is Nubia and the Amazons, number one. And this comes from Stephanie Williams and Vita Ayala working on the script together, a story by uh, Stephanie, I believe. And then we have art by Aletha Martinez. Did you read this? I did. Um, And, you know, I've had, you know, some pullback from the Amazons. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've kind of tumbled back from Diana where I just realized I just like watching Diana do her thing. Mm-hmm. And you now this book for me made me realize why I had pulled back so much from her. Mm-hmm. And because I realized I like watching her do her thing because they never really dived into like Themyscira as much as this book did. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I appreciated jumping into this and also not only getting more about Nubia, but also Themyscira and how, like, their culture is and how, like, they operate and everything. And um, so I really, like, enjoyed this book. I might yeah. have to, you know, put more bracelets and tiara back on. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for those who don't know, you know, this book is featuring Nubia, a character who has pretty much been in limbo for about, I want to say, since her creation 44 years ago. And yeah. she was originally created as, like, the Black sister to Diana. She would pop up, like, in maybe one or two stories in the 60s, maybe, like, one or two in the 90s. She came in and then, like, nothing. But uh, Once Future State started coming around, we started to see a little bit more of her. She has been someone that the fans have been clamoring for for a very long time. And so now here we are at her very first book. She is Queen of the Amazons, and she's doing her thing. We learned that she no longer has the tie of being Diana's sister. Instead, she was created via the Well of Souls. And the Well of Souls is something on Themyscira that when a woman in man's world has been murdered by men or someone bad and has something bad happen to them, their soul is sent to this well and they're reincarnated. They don't have any memories of their previous life. So they like pick a new name and they like start to learn to live as Amazons. And so that's how Nubia was created. Um, we see that, then we see her now dealing with the role of being queen, and like the well has reopened because it closed after she was born, and then we get a bunch of new Amazons that show up, and they kind of like go through the process. We see her dealing with that. We have this presence looming in the background, uh, Doom's doorway. Uh, we mm-hmm. need to find a new guardian for that because something's going on with it. One of the Amazons, she turns up petrified at the end. Wow. So new right. got some challenges. Um, did you... Did you think that, like, that uh, data page was pretty dope? <laughs> because I feel yes. like I was just saying recently that I was like, I feel like need data a pages. lot of books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, in the Nubia book, there was a data page. And yeah. um, I thought that was very helpful to just go ahead and get all the information out about the well and how that worked. Um, did you think, though, that 
Nubia is still technically like Diana's twin because they try to say that she was born or she came out of the well at the same time, the same time that Diana, Diana born. was born. Yeah. I thought that was a cute way to like still keep them mixed up and like um, they have a little bit of a tie to each other. That was nice. Right. It was a great way because I do understand why they would need to separate Nubia from Diana, but still keep the but still want to keep them tied together. So I thought that was a great way to to really do that. Yeah, agreed. Um, and the, I think this book was also just interesting in itself. It's like now I'm a little bit more interested in Nubia, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think the Well of Souls concept is really cool. I don't think it's something new. I'm pretty sure George Perez um, actually introduced it like in one of his Wonder Woman runs, however long ago. Uh, oh, dope. So it was like really nice to see that kind of like pop back up, and it was just cool. Like I, I'm, I'm gonna stick around for the miniseries for sure. Yeah, definitely. I thought everything about this issue was pretty great. All of the Amazons going off and doing this like kind of basic training to see where they all kind of fit, solving the puzzles and everything with it, and um, every character felt like they were just a part of this series. Um, mm-hmm. There was one character who I believe is trans, who I thought was uh, a great addition to this. And you would, yeah. And I, and the way that they were presented in this book was so dope. (laughs) Like um, I thought that their reaction to feeling as though they felt like this is the moment that they kind of have been waiting for, for the whole lives was very touching. And I thought that was really awesome. Super, super. What would you rate this issue? Honestly, I would give this issue a 4.5 out of 5. Okay. I was actually really, Agreed. really into this. Agreed. I was going to say the same thing. Like, it's like, I don't know if a lot of people know who Stephanie Williams is. Um, I know mm-hmm. I've seen her on Twitter every now and again, and she's been like uh, a girl who's championed for Nubia for so long. And yeah, wanted to push herself to like not only write this, like not only be in the comic book industry, like but to get in the comic book industry and write this character and to see her kind of achieve that goal, it's like so inspiring. And then like read the story and it's good. Such inspiration. You feel that passion in the character. You feel it in Nubia. Hot. Like please, everyone, go and pick this book up. It's good. Let's support it. We need more black Mm -hmm. women anyway. So like like for sure. And shout out to this team. They were all, like, really dope on this book. So, um, oh, man, I can subscribe. Hello, Nubia. (laughs) 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 Okay. Um, And next up on our list, uh, another book that everybody needs to go and buy is Black Manta number two. And this is from Chuck Kim and Valentino Delandro. And um, this is hot. Are you reading this? You're not reading this. You're not, so you need to read this. I know you're not I'm reading not. this. You know, I don't, I don't dive down too deep in the oceans too often. Let me tell you. And so, you know, I was thinking about this. The Aquaman corner right now is so good. Like, Black Manta has his book. Jackson has his book. There is, like, this uh, miniseries that's about to also happen that has Arthur teaming up with Green Arrow. I don't really know who the demographic for that is, but Brandon Thomas is also writing it, so I'm going to get it, and it's Arthur. Um, They both just have their 80th anniversary. 80th anniversaries this year, so it's like, I think okay. they just had something. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, this book is really good. You know, I've always enjoyed Black Man, so that is, like, my dad. I'm here for it. But 
a lot of his stories have always been tied too heavily into Aquaman. And it's just like being mad at Aquaman. And some of his best ones, in my opinion, are obviously when they separate. Dan Abnett did a really good job of it. And I feel like Chuck Brown is building off of that momentum here and really giving Manta his own, like, personal gallery of just people to deal with, villains to fight. There's this new guy, Devil Ray, who has this, like, water power. He merges with the ocean all over the world starts attacking people he's talking about like how the oceans are for his people specifically black people and he's like taking it back for them and he's doing good stuff there you have the i don't know if you remember but the last time at the end of last issue there was like this woman who popped out she was like some type of goddess creature she had been trapped in stone storm yeah the storm girl (laughs) so she comes back and guess who she's tied to the amazons so guess who we see Nubia and the Amazons. And so, um, yeah, it's like she pops up and she's like, you know, queen of appearances. She's everywhere. They're like ingraining her in. And I was like, I love to see it. But, you know, they're like, what's going on with you? Like, how are you feeling? You've been in this space for so long. And uh, there were some crystals that they found the last issue. And they're apparently tied to this woman. So she needs to get them back. Uh, you have Black Manta going around still looking for more of them with the girl he's working with, Gallus. And again, they're like a cute He has like a Cyclops moment. Since he's not wearing his helmet, he's going around to this party. He's got on his suit, but he's got on these red shades. And when he like moves the shades down, he starts blasting people with his eyes. I was like, come on, Black Cyclops. So that was fun to see. Uh, Valentino Delandro's art is just fantastic. It looks really good. It captures the action well. It's like, this is a good, like, it's good to see Manta be a pirate. Mm. And like, that's like his whole thing. He's like out here, he's just, it's fun. It's a fun little mini series. It's only going to be, what, four or five issues. Pick it up. I rate this a four out of five. Writing's good. Art's good. The Aquaman Corner is being written by two black men right now. I know, that's right. Um, and before we get to our last book, I also want to say that Phoenix Echo miniseries started this week. Um, it was a nice little thing. I don't really like the Phoenix, but I mean, but Echo's your girl, right? Uh, Echo's my girl, but I don't like the Phoenix. I don't know. I'm hoping by the end of it, she's the Phoenix now. I'm hoping by the end of it, it's gone. I, I just don't get the appeal of the Phoenix. I'm sorry. Like, even for, like, Jean Grey fans who want her to be the Phoenix, like, I don't understand why that's something you would want. The Phoenix is not interesting. And then once your character gets it, <laughs> once your character gets it, they become, like, this super powerful, omnipotent being. They're going to die. Yes. You can't keep people like that around. They're going to die. And I don't want Echo to die, so I need her to get rid of this bird. But she's supposed to fight. The, the adversary is, like, turning out to be the villain, it looks like. Oh, so. okay. Forge makes an appearance and he comes to Echo and he's like, Oh, you need to do this. Does adversary like, have some kind of like thing against Native American people? <laughs> you said it, not me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, geez. You said it, not me. But that's out. If you're interested in Echo or you like the Phoenix, please go and check it out. Um, but our final book of the week is Death of Doctor Strange number two, and this comes from Jed McKay and Lee Garbay. And magic is the moment. Magic is having a little bit of a moment. Magic. You know, I'm not, I'm never gonna, I'm not a hater and I give props when it's due. And mm-hmm. Magic is having a cute little moment right now. It so got this, the dark hold going on. That's not that good. But this is. So 
everyone should mm-hmm. go pick this up. So, you know, Doctor Strange has died. And at mm-hmm. the end of the first issue, there was a younger version of himself that popped up. And so we meet this version. We get like this little exposition page about him. This is a sh- version of Strange before he was a Sorcerer Supreme, before he was an Avenger. He doesn't, he like Captain America calls him. He doesn't know Captain America. Um, and so, you know, the captain is like, look, all these like weird magical things are happening all over the world. We need you to kind of come out here and help us. And Strange is like, I'm not the Strange that you know. I'm one that's like a piece of his soul from... So he basically took a week off of his life to create this version of himself. And he put him in a pocket dimension. So when he died, this one comes out. So this Strange has one week to figure out who murdered him and fix the world. And so while he's... Okay, it's a murder mystery. Okay. While they're doing that, all of these other, like, powerful magical beings around the world, they're starting to, like, flee. Or it looks like they're starting to try and take over or, like, come into uh, our universe. But Kalia pops up. She's being chased by some people. Mm -hmm. And she's telling them, she's like, no, they're not trying to take over. They're trying to run because somebody worse is coming. And then we get to this introduction of these three new villains called the Three Mothers. And they are hot. Okay? Like, they are hot One is like living worms that shoots lasers. One is like a space priestess. The other one is like just this giant warrior woman. Um, The Avengers show up to kind of help Strange and his crew fight them. They get beat the heck up. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then the three women are like, all right, we got to go do what we got to do. And so they disappear. And so then, like, the issue ends. And so it's like now the mystery is, like, continuing on. We still got to figure out who killed Strange. We got to figure out who these three women are and who they're working for. We got to figure out why all these people are running. Um, it's fun. The art is fantastic. That sounds hot. It's like, really, it, like, diving into exactly what Doctor Strange has, like, been doing, you know, like, when he's not around. Yeah. And that was something <laughs> I was like, this is probably one of the best Doctor Strange runs I've ever read. And I was like, he's dead. That's crazy. Um, definitely will rec- definitely highly recommend it. Issues four out of five for sure. Um, if you're into strange, if you're into magic, if you're anything, if you're in, if you're into good stories, honestly, this is something that you should read. Yeah, Jim McKay is dope, so check that out. King. Okay, but those are the books of our week. Let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come back with a very special guest, one of our super yes. excited and you know who she is. Kelly Thompson. That's right. Yes. Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> Let's take a break and then we'll come right back. All right, y'all. Welcome back to the panel section of another relaunch. And this time we are going to be joined by the one of my favorite writers right now, uh, Kelly Thompson. Super excited to have her on right now while we discuss comic book teams, personality versus powers. Um, wow. <laughs> I'm what a so, moment. I'm so excited. What a moment, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually got a little cold, so I hope I don't have a coughing fit. <clears throat> And uh, as if on cue, there we go. But uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I was supposed to get to go to a private Dune showing today, and I had to bail because I didn't think my friends would appreciate me coughing through the uh, through the epicness. So yeah, okay. a little, are you a uh, big Dune fan? 
I'm actually not a big Dune fan. Um, my, I mean, same. <laughs> my, my, my boyfriend has tried to get me to read it a bunch of times. Um, and I've resisted mo- mostly just it's a time thing, but, um, so I'm not a super fan, but I do love Villeneuve, the director. Uh, he's, mm. he's done some of my favorite films, including Arrival and, um, yeah. He, uh, I think he's an incredible, visionary, brilliant director, and uh, the visuals and all the casting and everything looks pretty yeah. amazing. And and I love sci-fi, so I I don't know why I wouldn't love it. So I've been very, <laughs> I've I've been very excited about this, you know, new sort of uh, this this new adventure, this new sci-fi epic to go on. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty bummed. My boyfriend came back from a a weekend thing with some friends. Mm-hmm in the mountains and he he had a cold and he was like man if i have to if i have to miss the dune screening i'm gonna be so mad and i'm like screw you man you're gonna be fine but i'm gonna get it and i'm gonna be the one who misses it and he's like nah and then here we are what did i say what did i say (sighs) you know it's men we i'm sorry for men And that is something we talk about very frequently on the show. And men can be a little bad sometimes. (laughs) It it, it is like men to just give you a cold, even though you don't want it, right? Yeah. Um, Jerks. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and get started then. So uh, one of the topics that we have been talking about previously with some of the listeners and um, that we wanted to dive into was personality versus powers while you are developing a team. Now, I personally feel like there is definitely a stark difference between building a team versus their personality and their characters and you know what they kind of bring to the team that way versus only having a team for specific powers. Now, I'm a big like RPG fan, so... <laughs> I do lean yeah. towards the powers when building a team. Um, you know, I do think of like I gotta have a tank and I gotta have like you know the scrapper and a healer. <laughs> you know, I need all these like first uh, pers- like parts. So you can kind of fit in their personalities, but I need the like differences in powers. So, um, what do you guys think about this, Ken? What do you think? So. Me, I'm definitely a personality person, 100%. Like, I I also do love a good RPG and, you know, all of that stuff. But I will honestly take a team with five telepaths if I know the five telepaths are going to give me, like, some good mess in between. (laughs) 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 And so it's like, when I think of teams, like, I totally understand. Because especially in something like sci-fi or superhero comics, they're going to face different types of adversaries with different types of abilities. So you might need a little bit of variation in your power. But also, I feel like they're going to figure it out. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, and it's like, and, and so it's, I appreciate the powers, but it always still kind of falls secondary to me. I need to, the dynamics are going to get me. If I see a particular group of cast of characters, I'll actually use Kelly. Your A-Force is a really good example. I think that team, She-Hulk, Medusa, Captain Marvel, Dazzler, Nico, uh, Synergy, those are all very, like, strong personalities. And they mesh. Yes, the powers were different, but, like, those personalities, like, really drove that story home, like, how they interacted with each other. Medusa kind of being, like, the queen up on her high horse, and Dazzler, who was down on her luck a little bit at the time, doing her derby stuff, and how they clashed, but, like, how they still managed to come together. And it's like, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say as a writer, I definitely go toward personality. I, if I was a, if I was a better plotter, um, I might 
be more interested in, I might give more consideration to the power aspect, mm -hmm. but I'm someone who's sort of in love with character and dialogue. And so that's more where I, where I approach a story from. It's like, how are these characters going to intermingle? And can I get that, that witty banter crack that I like so much? Can yeah. these characters push on each other in a way that's going to push them into interesting new uh, sort of angles? Um, you know, one of the funniest things you see um, online or social media, whatever, from, from readers, you know, is they're constantly casting books or like building teams with characters and stuff. And I always see them putting the same characters together. Like, yeah. like let's like let's <laughs> let's let's put five of these super sassy characters together. And it's just really wrong-headed. Like I understand that we all love those sassy characters or those mean characters or those sort of anti-hero yeah, anti <laughs> grouchy characters you know we love those things I do too but you need characters that are sort of oil and water together to get that crack like it's um I think a good example is like Buffy right when mm. when when you look at Buffy you're like oh they're best friends and it's so great and they are and they get along really well and then when does it start to come alive when you insert in someone who's creating problems for them sometimes that can be as simple as it being Giles because he has different goals than three teenagers mm. have but particularly when you get characters like uh, Cordelia coming in there she's not just going to do whatever they say she's she's the oil against their water right and when yeah. you lose her what do they do they bring in Spike again because you need that you need that conflict you need you can't just have everyone getting along all the time mm. and everything's great and so you need something that rubs against the other characters. And so I, I think uh, it's funny when people try to put, they try to put together these teams and they're like, think we'll be so good. And I'm like, those guys all sound the same. And that's not, <laughs> that's not the best. Like you want a variety there. And so, I mean, that's a good example of what, how A-Force works really well, I think is that, and you know, I didn't put that team together. I inherited what was given to me, but Dazzler was, in a particularly dark place that made her really fun. Cause I wasn't super interested in writing her, but oh, she, wow. yeah, but that was what I inherited. And then she happened to be in a really rich place emotionally from a storytelling point of view. And so it made it really fun. I really fell in love with the character. It didn't help that Ben Caldwell's design for her was incredible. Um, yeah, it made it, that, <laughs> it made it so fun. Yeah. Yeah. The Dazzler <laughs> Thor was super fun, you know, but like, I really had a hard time initially figuring out Medusa. I'm like, I don't really know how she fits with this group. And then I'm like, wait, she's a queen. She thinks she should be the boss. And then nobody's treating her like the boss. We can just make her like really grouchy about that. And like, but then sort of enjoying the fact that she doesn't have to be the queen here. She can just be one of this team. And that really cracked her open for me a lot. And she ended up being one of my favorites. I also love to shout out Ben Caldwell again. He drew her really curvy, which we never really see. And I loved that. Yeah. I thought it was yeah, so yeah. fun. I thought it was such a great design. And of course, She-Hulk, you know, the, the, the one really tricky part about that uh, A-Force book to me when you come to personalities is that you had three very serious team leaders. You've got <laughs> Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, and Medusa, who all should be leaders, who all have led incredible teams. One of them's a queen of a people. Like yeah. those are those are people who are gonna 
naturally sort to the top and and then you've got sort of a problem and so instead of ignoring it I just leaned into it and I was like okay Carol's gonna step back from that because she doesn't want to be that committed to this side team she's on and then we'll just let She-Hulk and Medusa kind of fight it out and it it created a lot of really fun sort of low stakes tension within the group that that Mm -hmm. I loved playing with and that as they grew as a team and overcame that I thought it was really rewarding I I I loved working with them it was a really fun book I loved it yeah I I recommend it it for us um, yeah. You know, you you mentioned, you know, how a lot of people, when they create their teams, that they do a lot of the sassy characters or the witty characters. Uh, one thing we've noticed is you have written a wide berth of character types and personalities. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. do you have a particular one that you'd like to go for? Like, do you kind of like the action girls a little bit more? Do you like the ones who are, tend to be down on their luck, a high and mighty? Yeah, um, I think from a power perspective, I always have a little more fun with street level. Um, you know, it's just, it's just really <laughs> hard to deal with someone at Carol's power level. Um, but I you know, like it. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's great. And, and listen, I'm trying my best. And so if it's working, then I, I think that's good, but it's really hard to come up with conflicts that, you know, are smaller than event level, but that, you know, Carol, she's so powerful, you know, it's yeah. like, what are you going to throw at her every week that's going to also give us time every month that's also going to give us time to like, you know, give her a, a character arc, give her things to learn and grow from and change and experience like, and yes, yeah, she's someone who can just toss people in the sun if she wants to. So how do you deal with, you know, she can punch Thanos and go toe to toe with these huge levels. So, you know, you just have to be churning out. Yeah. But you just have to be churning out these really big stakes things. And that's hard to do month in and month out for a long run. Um, Whereas Black Widow, you know, she's one of the most dangerous people in the world, but you know, she's dealing with a much more grounded, uh, you know, you can yeah. stab Black Widow and that's a problem for her that she then has to overcome, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, one is much easier and comes a lot more naturally to me and is a little more, I think, relatable the same way Kate Bishop, you know, um, mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. very street level, no powers, incredibly talented, can do things none of us can do, but, you know, she's not tossing people into the sun. So yeah, she can get hurt. Yeah, it's a little more it's a little more relatable that you would come home and want to put peas on your arm, frozen peas on your arm because it's sore, you know. So I I think they just present different challenges. Some are a little more natural and easier and some take a little more effort. So, you you know, Kelly, as you're just naming these things, you have been around the block and you have been writing (laughs) for a long time. And just kudos to you, because you know, LZ and I have both been reading comics for a very long time, and we've seen the industry change and, like, people come in and out and all that. And it's just, like, the way you have maintained and just continued to rise. <laughs> well, thank <it> you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that I've been incredibly lucky. I've also worked very hard, but I've been incredibly lucky. But in truth, I haven't really been in the business that long. I mean, you know, you look at someone like Gail Simone, who's been around for mm, decades now, yeah. churning out, you know, amazing work and being this huge yeah. personality on Twitter and stuff. I mean, I've only been around for like six or seven years. Like, is that all? Yeah. 
Oh man, it's been a well, it's been a good year. For you. It's been a yeah. good year. <laughs> yeah, I, I've done I've done a lot pretty fast. I was I was on another podcast and I can't remember. I guess we were talking about the Black Widow movie, mm-hmm. and we were talking about how long it had sort of taken to come out. And I was like, let me put it to you this way: we were all complaining as a as a group of comic book fans about where's the Black Widow movie long enough ago that I hadn't even started writing comics yet. Like that's how long we've been waiting to get that black widow movie. (laughs) I was, I was just trying to still to break in, you know, I was, I was doing reviewing and I was writing an op-ed and things like that, but I wasn't professionally writing comics yet when we were all talking about that. So, uh, and then since then I've written, I don't know, hundreds of books, one in Eisner did all these crazy things. Like that's, that's not, that's, that's how long we had to wait. That's how long we had to wait for that movie. So uh, it did sort of make me feel a little bit better that I'd been busy, <laughs> but uh, but that was too long. <laughs> All right. Did you, so? Did you go and see Black Widow? I actually watched it at home. I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Um, I'm vaccinated and everything, but I'm pretty aggressive about um, right. about uh, you know not not love, being out. How did you feel about Yelena in the movie? I loved it. I I thought I thought the family connection, I know that not everybody loves it, but I thought the way they did it was really powerful. I thought they really anchored the characters together in a great way. I I think, you know, certainly I'm sure uh, I'm sure they wanted to do a movie worthy of Black Widow, but clearly another directive in that given that they'd killed the character and Johansson was sort of exiting, mm-hmm. I I'm sure directive number 2 above and beyond give Black Widow a great movie was set this character up really well. And the first thing they did in, in the first very smart thing they did was casting Florence Pugh, who is incredible and who I knew fans would yeah. really click with. And, um, you know, we were working on our book and I didn't know much about the movie. And uh, we were like, should we put Elena in it? And I was like, yeah, you know, I've got a spot for her. I think we should. And so we put her in there. And then as the movie was getting closer, I was like, you know what? This character, people are going to flip for her. They're really going to love it. So let's keep her in. It makes sense. Let's keep her in the book. And really, it became one of my favorite things about writing that book was that dynamic. And even though our dynamic will never be the same as the movie, I think that they hit similar notes um, in their personalities and in their sort of Agreed. dynamic together, which is really fun. I mean, uh, the best part of that movie, other than I thought the feminist themes were really good in general, uh, that vest conversation they have and, <laughs> and the and the speech she does about her uterus being removed. I mean, like yeah. a million stars right, right. for Florence yeah. Pugh's White <laughs> Widow, right? <laughs> Just so, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've been really loving your uh, Black Widow run. Actually, we talk about it every month it comes out on the show. And Yelena yeah. uh, <laughs> has been fantastic. We, When we first started reading the run, um, instantly I thought of A Long Kiss Goodnight, the movie, and yeah. how yeah. we had we were like, one thing we like about Natasha, obviously she kicks ass, she's dope. And uh, Keenan, more than myself, I'm more of into like, you know, the superpowered girls. <laughs> he does like more of the... <laughs> The street level characters, yeah. Uh, but Black Widow, a lot of her street stories have been like, you know, the Red Room is coming to take her again, or there's people yeah. can trust her. But this felt very different while moving her forward. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. 
I like that a lot. I'm glad you guys like it. It was really important to me. I, you know, the Red Room stuff is really great. It's really mm-hmm. rich stuff, but we've seen it. We've seen it over so and over and over again. And I really wanted to like break free of that. I mean, you should never break her completely free of it. That's why when, you know, we in that first arc, some of the villains that are behind that that plot against Natasha are Red Room related villains. Like, you know, so you don't ever want to. And it's and the plot there is a very Red Room vibes, you know, mm-hmm. right? Mind control and cloning and all that stuff. So, you know, you've got you've got these touchstones for the kind of stuff she's been, but you want to push it in a new direction. And similarly, I mean, in that second arc, I think you've got Natasha and Yelena sort of disagreeing about, you know, not being like, well, I don't want to start a new Red Room in San Francisco. Like, that's not what we're doing. And White Widow being like, no, that's not what we're doing, but it doesn't mean we can't train some some team up or whatever. So yeah. I, I, you know, I want to play with those things and acknowledge how important they are to who she is while also let's do something a little different. So yeah, I'm glad yeah. you guys are enjoying it. It's happening. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's everyone hot. is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it helps. It helps that I have an incredible, incredible creative team. Uh, Elena Casagrande is just killing it. And Jordi oh. Belair. Um, also Rafael de la Torre is incredible. Uh, I've been very lucky. Yes. And Adam Hughes covers. Ah. So oh yeah. <laughs> and the, the new suit with the hood and everything. You know I love a hood. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a little interview with Elena that'll go up this week about uh the costumes for Black Widow. The Black Ooh. Widow the Black Widow redesign and the Lucy costume. That'll be up on my Substack later this week. So Oh so, so speaking yeah. of Substack. Um, let's get a little bit into that because I know you've just announced that you have a couple of creator owned works that are going to be going on there. And we've seen a couple of yeah. other creatives in the industry all moving over there. If you don't mind, could you just explain a little bit about what a what Substack is? Because I know I personally am still a little confused on some aspects. <laughs> sure, <of it>. sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And then like just tell us about your projects there. Sure, sure. So Substack is quite simply, it's like a newsletter service. It's sort of like if you were blogging, but instead of posting it to your site, even though this does get posted to the site, it just goes directly into people's email boxes, like, because they've subscribed. So if you subscribe and I do a post, you know, you get an email with the post and then you can read it in your email or you can click on it and go to the site. So what's changed? So mostly writers and journalists are using this, right? Um, Obviously Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a newsletter service. So it's all about sort of the written word, but Substack decided to get into comics, and so they're giving a lot of really incredible creators, um, and I don't mean me, but okay, Uh, and uh, they're giving them these really big grants to make their own comics and try them out in this digital newsletter format and see how it works. Um, Already, since I've been brought on board, they've partnered with Panels, the Panels app, Mm -hmm. which means that you know, you can still get the comics in your email box because they come from the newsletter, but it's there. You can also just click on a link and read them in an app the same way you would, I don't know, Comixology or Marvel Unlimited or any other thing. Um, Most of the creators on there, as far as I know, are also doing print editions, you know, a little bit down Mm -hmm. the line. So, you know, nobody wants to kill comics. Nobody wants to kill shops. Nobody, (laughs) nobody wants print to be dead. But at the same time, 
you know, there are, th yeah, we have to evolve and there are things to be said for digital. Um, is Substack going to change the way comics are read or produced? I don't know. I do know that it's a really great opportunity for a lot of people and speaking specifically to my challenges, you know, I, I've been really busy with work. I've been very lucky, but I have not been able to get really to do any creator own sort of since my career mm -hmm. took off and that's due to both time and money and the Substack deal made that work. And so now I'm going to yeah. have, you know, two or three books coming out next year that are creator owned with these incredible creators uh, that I'm partnering with. Um, my first book that's going to be coming out, I think next month will be starting. It's called Black Cloak. And uh, it's with uh, artist Meredith McLaren. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it's like a detective uh, story. It's like a classic detective story, but it's set in sort of a sci-fi fantasy world where there's creatures of all kinds. So like imagine, you know, a sort of, Lord of the Rings type of world where everyone came together to defeat the great evil. You defeated it. And now what? Now we got to all live together without a common enemy. It doesn't mm -hmm. go super well. There's still crimes, you know, so it all takes place in this sort of the last city in the world. And, uh, and it follows these detectives investigating crimes. It's I have really never fun. heard, I have never heard a like pitch that's so more aligned to my interests than what you just said. <laughs> right now. It's this is all Keenan. Like, like the detective, the Lord of the Rings, the last city on earth, we defeated the great evil. I'm just like, yes. Yeah. I need <laughs> well, it sounds like we need to get you a subscription then. <laughs> I'm going on there right there. <laughs> um, so the second book that I'll be doing, and I don't have a release date for this yet, it'll be sometime in 2022, is with um, Maria Diulius. And uh, he was my artist Ooh. on Jessica Jones. Does that incredible? So Meredith has a very sort of cartoony, um, like a really beautiful, clean, cartoony style. And Mattia has this incredibly realistic, you know, highly painted style. And I love that those are the first two books I'm doing because they're so different yeah. in visual, if not in, you know, the kind of ideas I like to talk about. Uh, so The Cull is the second book. And it's about sort of five or six teenagers who are friends who just sort of graduated and go off to make a film together at a sort of local forbidden rock uh, on the on a on this small coastal town they live in, and uh, things go wrong. And uh, it's do. sort of like yeah, yeah I would say it's like a <laughs> more adult Goonies esque sci fi adventure kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think it's. It's probably going to skew a little more horror, um, but uh, it's uh, it's really great. Maddie is incredible. He's really his enthusiasm for the project is honestly yeah. it, it's honestly so cool. It makes me work so much harder. Like I don't know if yeah. artists know that about writers, but like being really yeah. excited about it is like a really it great way to make the writer be like, well, I I better do a really good job. Like so they really feel like they 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 partner with the right person and that they mm -hmm. remain really excited about it you know um so yeah. 
yeah, I uh, I really at this point with the call, I'm just hoping to 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 merit Maddie's attention. Um, <laughs> but I'm really excited about it. So. Well, that's good. We're definitely going to be on the lookout for those. And I love just what you say about, you know, Maddie also being excited and the pushing the writers. You can kind of, I feel like in a lot of comics, you can tell when your writer and your artist and your colorist like all really get along. Yes. And like mm-hmm. they're all yeah. working very hard together. <laughs> <laughs> when it, yeah, when it, when it comes, uh, when it comes together like that, it really can be quite magical. Um, it's it doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, I should also say there is another part to the subsect thing, which is a pretty big part of it actually. Which is, in addition to doing new comics, which to me that's the draw, but a lot of other people are interested in the stuff that's sort of more like blogging. So like I did interviews last week with Carmen Carnero. We were talking about the Captain Marvel designs, and we showed off. Um, the Captain Marvel apocalyptic designs from the first arc. And then we also mm. talked about her star design, which is, you know, one of the greatest costumes created in comics in a decade, I yeah. swear. It's it so is. Cool. I love star. It's star was hot. I talk often about like costumes. And one of my big things is like, I love a costume that has primarily white in it. So when like star came on the scene and she got <laughs> white, I was yeah. like, oh. She's going to be around. (laughs) Well, you should definitely go check out that, those interviews then, because we talk about that, how we started, because we knew she was going to be a villain. We started with sort of black base as the design for her costume. And we were all like, this isn't going to work. We have to think, we have to trick people into thinking she's, you know, she's pretending to be a hero. So this isn't going to work. And that was when it really switched over and it opened a lot of stuff up for the design and it became so great so yeah so we did that um last week and then i'll have elena casagrande's interview up this week we're also i'm talking to lee jarbet who designed the uh the sort of dark captain marvel look we're going to talk about that so i did a deconstruction of scripts and gave out uh gave everyone a pdf of one of my black widow scripts and so there's a lot of sort of process stuff and behind the scenes talk so um, I think the the biggest problem probably is that a lot of creators you love are doing cool stuff like this. And so maybe it's a little overwhelming, but it does really feel like a sort of embarrassment of riches to me to have all I like if I had had access to that kind of stuff when I was 20, like how these people are making their stuff is it's incredible. Yeah, so it's, it's really it's really cool. I think there's a lot of value in it. Okay. Well, everyone, yeah. you know, it's time to seek out your favorite creator Substack, guys. It sounds like, like I'm I'm signing up today. I'm a big Captain Marvel fan, so like hearing all about the processes behind that stuff, I would love to know about. So like, I know a lot of people also want to like hear about like the processes or like read about and learn about those kinds of things. So Substack seems like the spot to go for for that kind of information. So check that out. Yeah. Kelly, I have a quick question for you because, you know, you're just talking about Captain Marvel's costume and this is something that LZ and I were actually just talking about. You know, you've debuted a few different looks for Carol. (laughs) Do you think her current, like, normal Captain Marvel suit, do you think that it has reached a point where it is, like, her iconic, she will be in it forever? Or do you think that there will be a time where she'll kind of move past that suit and get a new one? I... I, I don't know the answer to that because let me tell you a secret. When, mm-hmm. when 
when we were designing the 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 Marco Cicchetto costume, that the Doctor Strange, the magic look, yeah, that yes. we did for the for that arc, um, that was an accident. <laughs> really, we brought Marco in to do just like a little update on the regular look, like you know, oh. just just tighten it up, clean it up, shape it up mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, make it a little shiny. Um, we didn't want to depart really far from it, which is not super fun for a designer, I would think. But <laughs> and and it was really challenging. But yeah. in the process of seeing a bunch of his designs that he was sort of throwing at us, one of them stood out as I think it had a hood and it had sort of this different energy. And I was like, wait a minute, we're doing this magic arc. Are we crazy to not just have her? do like a fun Doctor Strange-esque costume. Like, should we be doing that? And the second we hit up, we were like, yes, we should definitely be doing that. And so (laughs) and then Marco started designing that and it was coming together so great. And I was like, man, we have put this bitch in so many costumes. Um, (laughs) Like it's been so many, (laughs) it's been so many different looks and it totally wasn't intentional, but you know, it was just like, for example, we weren't, I didn't plan for her to have a different look look when she picked up that hammer for empire but of course it should change her look and so we made it her costume but with the kree colors so there's Mm -hmm. that one there's the dark marvel suit there's apocalypse captain marvel there's doctor strange captain marvel it's just crazy how much we've done i think that marvel's was hot i like that one (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's awesome it's awesome i also like how asymmetrical it is i'm into that but right yes yeah with the style. Uh, yeah yeah <laughs> which, the is, on the one which is great <laughs> yeah which is something they end up doing with the um ben in the new amazing spider-man thing i'm doing and it looks great there too i'm telling you asymmetrical is the shit <laughs> anyway uh <laughs> so even star she has that asymmetrical like the cape is cut, you know, oh, asymmetrically yeah. too. So it's everywhere. They did that with um, Storm's cape recently too. Yeah. I thought that that was, mm. yeah. No, not so good. No, I like it. I think. Oh, it's you hot. like it? Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> the last time I saw Storm's costume, it was that incredible Russell Dodderman thing where it was like the storm was the cape, which was an oh, incredible oh, idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that was incredible. That's like a look worthy of Storm, right? Like, hello. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's still around. It's become like her her look now. Her like regal. Yeah. The region yeah. of Solo. Yeah. I mean, you got to You got to keep something that good around. You can't just like put it in mothballs for once a year. Come on. <laughs> and you and you know they're not going to do the same thing next year. So you got to exactly. do something else. Yeah. So I'm glad that's still around. That's great. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think that ironically, uh, though I wanted to update the costume because we ended up having so many alternate costumes, mm-hmm. it ended up feeling really nice that there was just sort of a, a safe base to come back to, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, so I guess my answer to that is I think it's going to be pretty hard to break her into something new that's not temporary or story-based mm-hmm. because we tried it and we failed and um yeah okay. so i i think if you like it you're set and if you don't <laughs> like it, it i was like and, i feel like she's kind of stuck in it. <laughs> and if you that's don't like girl, it but i feel like she's stuck yeah yeah I, I i think the problem is the costume's really great and so yeah. mm-hmm. unless you're gonna do a overhaul it's pretty hard to 
tune it a little bit like we tried to do like just sort of you know oh let's just give it a new paint job kind of thing and it just didn't yeah. really work so yeah i think that's possibly problematic although i don't know maybe if we get through r50 um Ooh. and i'm if we get there i'm sure she'll get a big relaunch um and so maybe she would get you know a different direction or suit or something so someone great i'm sure someone great can figure it out but um my editor, my editor, me and Marco definitely failed. But, but we got the great, we got the great temporary costume. So it's, it's, it's a win. It's a win anyway. Yeah. Um, you know now. So, go ahead. No, go ahead, Kenny. No, no, no. I was just gonna say something else about someone I like. <laughs> um, I did want to ask when it comes to these characters and these personality versus their powers, and um, when they all have the like their different personalities but they have the same powers, how exactly do you kind of dive in to make them seem kind of different when what their abilities can and what they can do? Do you kind of make it where, okay, this person who has the more like ego-y kind of personality, they'll just do more punches compared to the other characters? Or do you kind of like switch up what they can kind of do? You mean, do you mean specifically within like a, a team setting? I'm not sure. Like if you, so like if you were having a team and it like all of the characters have the same kind of powers, how I are you see. differentiating kind of like what they can do if everybody mm -hmm. can kind of really do the same thing? You know, right, if right. I'll shoot the same energy blast. What do you really do? Right, right. Well, I mean, I think you're a little right. And I do think that's part of the laziness of not just my comics, but a lot of superhero comics we see. I mean, I think one of the, my, my favorite things, and I think a lot of readers, is see, to see powers used creatively. It's one of the coolest things to see. But as a writer, I'll tell you, that's really hard. It's really hard to come up with creative uses of power month in, month out. Um, I will say that I was talking with my editor recently about how much fun I had using Kamala because she's not have a photon based mm -hmm. blasting power set. And I'm not bored of Carol at all. I am a little bored of her power set. Um, and that's not fair of me you because she sprinkle can sprinkle in there with the eye blast. That was great. I, I <laughs> well, yes. So we did that. We've been playing a little bit with her making more sort of energy shields, um, which isn't something she traditionally does a lot of, but we're playing with that a little bit. The eye blast, um, we're doing a few things and that's leading to something. And I think that's going to be a really fun development. And I think that's, a long sort of overdue playing with these things. I can't say much more. You're going to see the first, you're going to see the first hint of it in issue 34, the next issue. Um, <laughs> um, I think people are going to flip out over it. Um, I think Ooh. the people who hate Captain Marvel are going to hate it because, you know, they hate everything, but the people who are into the character and into the powers and all of that, I think people are going to love it. But yeah, I mean, part of what pushed me there was I'm a little tired of, you know, photon blast, photon blast, punch, photon blast, punch. Like, you know, it gets a little tired. And and yet it's very hard to try and reinvent the wheel every arc about what can we do with our powers. So I think it's a really challenging thing. 
I think if you have a lot of characters with similar sets, I think you're right that that's limiting. Um, but I will say that comics does sort of, this is going to sound so stupid, but let's check, let's, let's sort of quote Jeff Goldblum and it'll make it a little better, which <laughs> is, uh, life finds a way, um, mm. which is the comic sort of finds a way like, you know, you're like, Oh, I don't have these power sets I need in order to defeat this thing. But there's always like, some way to figure it out like some little plot doohickey some little magical device some little this or that Mm -hmm. that can these characters level up these characters merge the you know all different ways that you can then try to solve that if you run into that problem um Mm. but yeah i think that a lot of us uh you know write many books a month it's a punishing schedule and you don't always have time to go in and be like what's the cleverest way we can deal with this problem? You know, you try, but yeah. doesn't yeah. always doesn't always work. Absolutely. And I might be basic, but I'm okay with just a little punchy blast sometimes. <laughs> I, mean, I, <laughs> I got no problem with punchy blasts. I just, you know. Look, my favorite 30, characters 34 are the issues heroes. of it. My favorite yeah. characters are the street heroes. All they're doing is punching. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, you, you know, Kelly, you have, again, written a wide berth of characters. You've touched a lot. Are there any uh, within the big two or anywhere that you can talk about that you're still kind of like itching to write or like get a chance to tackle or get into that mindset with the powers? <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, um, I uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, I've never done anything over at D.C., so there's a whole uh, slew of characters, including bat related characters that I'm interested in and that I would love to take a swing at. Um, For Marvel, I've honestly gotten to write a lot of my favorite stuff. There's still stuff out there that would be really challenging or that I'd like to take on. But, um, you know, even in small doses, I've gotten to write, you know, characters. Like, I don't really want to write a Thor book because, because even though I love the character and all the mythology and stuff, I really struggle with that Thor speak. So the mm. idea of having to write that every month all the time. And so You're instead, like, no. <laughs> yeah, instead I'm like, well, let's just have Thor show up here. And then that way I get to write him a little bit, but I don't have to take on, you know, all of that intensity of that, uh, that speech. Um, you know, the same thing, like now I'm getting to write Spider-Man and amazing Spider-Man. But before that, like I had, gotten to write him in just like a couple little things and stuff mm-hmm. uh i will say i do miss x-men um oh. you know i i got to do rogan gambit obviously which was so huge and mr and mrs x yeah. and i got to touch a lot of those toys when i did the co-write with the uncanny x-men yes. run but it's assembled that was some good <laughs> betsy kelly yes. thompson okay that was <laughs> thank you betsy. i love that thank <laughs> you yeah. but yeah i mean those x-men characters are sort of my first love and so to not be a part of like all that sort of crazy cool stuff that's happening with them now is a little makes me a little uh it's a little bittersweet so there, there's a lot of what x characters that like on the polaris book <laughs> 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 who do i write to how do i make that happen <laughs> does, she, does she have a book now she's in the x-men <laughs> right now or that's what i would actually love to be on is writing yeah. the x-men like yeah. uh, an x-men team Oh, thank you. That's nice. I would love to too. Although uh, uh, Jerry Dugan is great at doing that kind of stuff, and of course he's yeah. got Pereira. He's got 
uh, uh, Pepe Larraz, which is, you know, the yeah. incredible, Phenomenal. absolutely incredible. Although he does draw a great Polaris, doesn't he? That's yes. Yeah. His Polaris is so good. I mean, yeah. his his everybody is so good, but I particularly I particularly was struck by a couple of his Polaris's. Maybe just because she doesn't get the attention I sometimes think she deserves, but uh, I don't know that's great. right. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have any type of like power sets that are kind of your favorites to really tackle or kind of have on a team? Well, I mean, if you have the right artist, like I do in Elena, I love doing like martial arts and, you know, combat stuff because it just looks so incredible. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'd rather I'd rather read Elena's fight choreography than a million panels of people blowing up the moon or whatever. So I just <laughs> I just I just find it more interesting. But I do like sort of interesting power sets that are a little unexpected. Um, I, I've always really liked armor from the X-Men. I feel like that's a yeah. super cool power set. It visually looks interesting, but it's also like a really cool power to have. That's a little different. I mean, it has some of the same properties that we typically see, but it's just presented in a new way. Mm. I really love that about it. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, I guess is, uh, but I, I think, again, it does really depend on your artist. I mean, doing a Black Widow book with someone who can't do the kind of stuff Elena can do is a lot less appealing because you're Mm. not going to see you're not going to see it realized in the same way, you know? Yeah, a good action typically leave that. Do you typically leave that up to the artist to kind of decide how the fight is going to look or do you kind of have a vision in mind? Well, I mean, I write pretty tight scripts, so I don't think anyone would say I'm just letting the the artist go free. But I I always let them know, you know, this is a true collaboration and I'm very interested in you. You know, if you see a better way to do something or a different way, you know, do it. Follow that path. Like, let's let's do it. Um and with I've been very lucky. Most of my um, artists have not all been been really great, but I've had really great relationships with them, and so I've been able to feel that that real collaboration between us and that sort of teamwork of us working together to put out the best possible thing. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes you get an artist who's really great, but who it it's just either not a great fit for the project or you guys just don't gel. And that's that's no shade on anyone. That's just not everyone gets along at the same level, you know? And so I think a true, you know, that's the hardest and most magical part of any editor's job is putting together that team um, and finding not just who's right for the book, but who ends up working together. It's honestly, it's a little bit, there's no real roadmap for how to figure that out. It's sort of like magic, you know? Hey, magic. (laughs) (laughs) we have a thing where um i'm not the biggest fan of magic or like magical characters (laughs) keenan is and he says that currently magic is like carrying marvel right now and i will let that happen (laughs) are we talking about carrying carrying marvel marvel comics or carrying all of marvel 
I mean, he would say that it's carrying all of Marvel. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, when you're hot, you're hot. You know, WandaVision <laughs> just came out. We're going into the multiverse of madness. Like, yeah, very true. Well, that's why I asked about the if you, if you meant specifically comics or sort of the larger scope. Um, can I ask, uh, without picking a side, can I ask what it is you don't like about magic? Oh, well, honestly, it's because, like, it's limitless. Yeah. And, like, they can do anything. Yeah. It's like, why are you even here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want the, uh, I mean, I think you're completely right in that that's a big problem that, that happens, and it does happen. But then when you ask them to do something, they complain about it. It's like, oh, the, the, <laughs> the sun... And like, I don't, my chakra's not right and I can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what were you Are there, but I do think in, in fairness to great magic stories, um, when people are really careful about it, mm-hmm. it, it can be an incredibly cool story with very high stakes. And that doesn't feel like um, what I think you're complaining about, which I think a lot of people do, which is it sort of feels like a uh, do as machina every time, right? Like yes, how yeah. will we, how will we solve this problem? Oh, we'll solve it with magic. Of course. Like, <laughs> but there are, there, <laughs> I feel like there are stories though, where they get it right, where they don't abuse it. Don't you think? Yeah. Oh, he does, Kelly. Don't, Kelly, moments. don't listen to him. He, <laughs> When you have had, he's been telling me about how Amora's been showing up in Captain Marvel and how he's just been loving it and all this stuff. I was like, you realize, like, all of that is rooted in magic, right? Like, you gotta understand, he was like loving yeah, Guardians kind of, of the fair. Galaxy. I'm like, they're fighting for Mamu. Don't listen to him, Captain. <laughs> like I said, magic is great for the visual it gives and a punching bag. We always need a punching bag. And they can bring up all kind of like, demons and stuff for people to fight that's great (laughs) (laughs) i guess i guess i would say where i fall is that i really love magic but i like it with limits and i do think it gets abused Mm -hmm. it gets abused or or maybe overused is the is the better answer but um one thing i've always enjoyed in like characters are their limitations with their powers i am not the biggest fan of like you know the big omega level thing that can crack planets in half because then it's again like girl why are you here we yeah, <laughs> what was the yeah. point but well, i if you know what mine is speedsters mm. oh I, yes i oh. don't like writing oh. speedsters i have <laughs> multiple times people have tried to put speedsters on my team and i'm like no 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 uh alana tried to put um i think it was tommy on my um west coast avengers team no, and i was like no. i was like hell hell no because <laughs> I, to me i i just don't like unless you knock that guy out right away which is not fun or interesting um how can he not just solve all the problems like <laughs> he can do all those things before we can even think it like i i, I, I don't know i don't so i don't know how to write that Listen, i avoid it you're telling you're speaking <laughs> to the choir I mean, I don't even, I don't even like it how fast 
the implication is it's less true for Captain Marvel than it is someone like Superman, of course, but still the implication is she can move incredibly fast. I mean, like you can fly at like light speed or whatever. I don't know her actual flight speed, but you know, it's incredibly fast. And so, I mean, I just try to not look directly at that. Like Mm -hmm. I, I think I would have to do the same thing if I was writing Superman and, but I'm with you like characters with limitations, it's it's a good thing to have. I mean, it's one of the reasons we wrote the the Captain Marvel magic arc was because I wanted to address these ways in which she does have weaknesses. And then I wanted her to not only not be successful in eliminating that weakness, but for people who are otherwise friendly to her to bring it up and be like, hey, it's maybe not a bad idea that there's a way to take you down. Like, you know, as someone who was trapped in a suit a year ago and forced to fight her friends. (laughs) Like maybe it's good to not be completely invincible, you know? And I I think she actually took that to heart. I don't think that that's how she wanted that magic arc to end for her or anyone else, but well, maybe she's happy for how it ended for Ove, but uh, (laughs) you know, I think that, I think that she heard that when he said that she may not have done what he wanted, but I think she did hear it. And um, I hope I it mean, will that's be Carol. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. She's uh, like the second she thinks you're telling her what to do, it's a problem, which is not a great mindset for a military. But uh, I guess she transcended that a while ago. <laughs> yeah. See, that's my girl, but that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what she would be uninteresting if she didn't have any flaws or Thank any, you, you know. <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah, that's what he says. (laughs) It's it's also the thing that I think Kelly Sue DeConnick really um, helped establish with Carol, which is a thing I love with her that, but that could also be seen as a, a thing that could work against you is Kelly Sue DeConnick has that incredible quote. It's one of those things that you wish you'd said it instead of someone else, but let's give credit where, it's due. It's Kelly Sue DeConnick. She said, Captain America gets up because it's the right thing to do. And Captain Marvel gets up because fuck you. And <laughs> I love that. I, I love that. And I, I, I think that's very Carol. And I think it's highly relatable. And the more things that you can tap into that are relatable for a character who can throw people into the sun is good. And so you know, that's that's a thing that helps make her powerful and makes her so able to win every time. But it's also not the best quality. Right. Like that's yeah. you could certainly see that as a negative, too. And those are the best kind of character traits, things that make you, you know, it's greatest strength is the same as the greatest weakness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I've always felt like that was something that would help for Carol was having it be pushed with her. You know, her determination is like something that I find inspiring myself. Um, yeah. But it's also something that can be like a detriment to her. Yeah. And Obsessive. That's, that's too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've 100%. really been loving getting that in her run instead of just relying on her being Captain Marvel. Thank mm. you. Thank you. I've tried, you know, again, I it's really important to me to sort of excavate the character and really help people feel that. I want people to fall in love with her. I feel like, you know, with Carol people really love her or hate her. Yeah. I really I felt like we, 
we had a bit of a hard job um, doing some rehab. I do feel like it limits a little bit what we're able to do with her in that sometimes I'd like to take her to a little more dangerous places character wise, but because of how she's been portrayed in some other stories that weren't sort of quote unquote her stories. Um, yeah, I think you have to be a little more careful with that. Like, for example, I'd love to just cut her hair, but I'm not going to do it. Like, forget it. It's not, <laughs> not worth it. It's not, it's not worth the bitching I'd have to hear. And listen, I also understand it because not everyone can draw the short hair the mm -hmm. same way, right? Like some people draw it and it looks really great. I mean, like David Marquez, I like, his his Captain Marvel yeah. with short hair is gorgeous, but like yeah. other people draw it like, you know, it's not so attractive or whatever. And then you get a whole wave of, well, well she can't be attractive. Like, what's the problem? Like, it's a whole nightmare. So. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we just don't cut her hair. Like, let it be long. Fine, whatever. I don't want that in your mentions and doing that to you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just not no. worth it. It's just not worth it. But it's a little <laughs> sad that. You can't do it. That, that yeah, you've, you, you, there are literal limitations on that because if you don't want to open that can of worms, you better stay over here. And, and that's the, I think the first time I really encountered that was with Carol, you know, um, mm -hmm. was there was this very big sense that, you know, w there are limitations here and it's for your own sake and for Carol's sake. And like, just don't go there. Like, not that Marvel was telling me that, but just, I sensed it, you know, like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Read the room. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Kelly, I will say if they ever come into your mentions being nasty, just send them my way. I do. Argue <laughs> with, okay? like, I have no problem with that. <laughs> I've done a very good job of curating my feed at this point that, um, okay. The people who get mad at me, I'm not really aware they're mad at me. So I guess keep moving on. It's great. <laughs> so I'm uh, say that's the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just scream, scream into the abyss all you like. I'm not even aware you exist. <laughs> have a great, have a great day. Um. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Well, I did, I have one final question for you, Kelly, and this is you know yeah. a little Captain Marvel. I just want to know. This is kind of general MCU. Do you think? they would adapt Civil War II into an MCU film. Absolutely. <laughs> no. Because, no. We, because we already saw Minority Report? No, I don't know. That's just, <laughs> that's, that's, just a, that's just a joke. Um, I, may, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I feel like I don't, I don't have a good temperature take on this because... I don't really like superheroes fighting other superhero stories. I mean, I, I don't mind it a little bit. Like um, I actually felt like back in the day when we all first saw Avengers, I felt like they handled that really well because they had to not just all fall in line and get along. So we had a couple confrontations there where it's like people sort of sizing each other up and punching each other and whatever, but they didn't drag it out. Right. There were a couple core scenes where we saw that and then it was like, okay, they're coming together and they're going to save the day and that's going to feel good for all of us. And um, I think, I do think that in civil war um, in the movie, um, the airport scene is incredible. I love it. It's, it's so awesome. But other than that, I don't love that movie. Like, 
that it, it feels sort of unwieldy. It's, it's a lot of characters. It's not the strength. I mean, when you consider the Russos doing Winter Soldier is like one of the best. Yeah. And then the two, you know, the two pieces of Endgame also being just completely epic and and so emotional, like how they drew all those threads together through sort of 10 years of yeah. films is mm-hmm. masterful. And you look at Civil War and you're like, huh, okay. <laughs> it, it just it just doesn't, it's just not really at that same level, you know? Like, and I to me, some of that has nothing to do with any of the other stuff. It just has to do with we don't really like it when these characters fight each other long term. Like it's yeah. great, it's great for a really incredible scene, but we don't want them hating each other and and you know. I don't want know. Them hanging out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Again, a little of it goes a long way for me. So, uh, Civil War Two is not super appealing to me in that way. Again, I'd rather them fight something else. But um, you know, I, I there are there are conflicts that are justified. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I felt like in Civil War Two, the really extreme positions people took didn't make a lot of sense. Like I understand why Carol comes at the issues the way she does, you know, she comes Mm -hmm. from a military background and at least some part of military background is sort of um, acceptable loss, right? Like your job is to minimize casualties. Um, You understand there are going to be casualties. What can you do to get the most people out alive, like strategically? And so if you think you've got a weapon that's predicting the future and that that's going to allow you to protect people from these crazy things, I totally understand how she gets there. But I don't know. Tony's Tony's arguments about testing it and not relying 100% on it are very reasonable. And given the unreasonableness of these worlds, I it seems a little unreasonable of Carol to come at it so hard. Um, mm. So I don't know. Maybe, though. Do you guys want to see it when you think about no. it? No. <laughs> no, it's something no. I think about. He does not want to see it, but I, I kind of consider Civil War II a Carol event, and I feel like with with her prominence in the MCU and how it's rising and where she's going and how they're making her this bigger character, I feel as though like being that's one of her big stories or a story that's kind of like big for her. I feel like it's something that we might see. Well, it's possible. I do think that they would probably be more careful with her portrayal mm. if they did adapt it, um, because I agree with you. I think she's a really big character for them, and it's an important shift in the movies, um, bringing that character in and, like, pushing in that direction. So maybe, but, I, I mean, I don't think, even though I agree with you that it is partially a Carol story, I mean, like, what, it's a Carol and Tony story, but I, when I when I run into people being angry about Carol, most of them are from that. So yeah. that All doesn't. Of them are from that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are there are people mad at her from Civil War One too, right? Because she was pro registration, oh. and oh, there yeah. were there were some there were some not great actions taken in that by her as well. Her and that Spider Woman stuff. Yes, bad. yes, <laughs> very bad. And to me, not really reflective of who Carol is, to be honest. No, I mean, maybe no. maybe it was accurate to who she was back then. That's not the Carol I write. The, the Carol I write would not do those things. So, I agree. Um, 
But, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a hard thing. I mean, you're talking about characters that are written by, you know, dozens, sometimes hundreds of different writers over decades, you know, who they are changes fundamentally with, um, you know, you try to keep this, this continuity uh, so that they still feel like themselves, but every writer tries to bring something different and something of themselves to it. And so they naturally change. Um, I think Carol has been through so much since Civil War One. I. I feel like mm-hmm. she's a very different character now. Um, she's Captain Marvel now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the good news is I think there are a lot of stories that were not necessarily Carol stories that could easily be turned into Carol stories. Like anything mm-hmm. involving the Kree and the scrolls, she should be front row center, right? She should be leading yeah, yeah. that. But I, I also the galactic storm <laughs> yeah. she was involved in. I yeah. thought it was cool. But you know, we we do have a similar pro- problem for Carol in the movies that we do in the comics. I mean, it's 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 not a problem until you want her to be the leader. And then it becomes a problem, mm. which is mm. she's so goddamn powerful, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, think of that scene in Endgame where she comes in and she and they and they Damn. and the sh- the ship starts sighting her, yeah. and you don't even know what she <laughs> is yet, and it's firing because it knows she's oh, a no, threat. It was, hot. <laughs> she, it was so good, it just chills. It gives me chills just thinking about it. She flies into that ship and she's breaking it into pieces. It's so goddamn good but like someone who can do that mm-hmm. how do you put them front and center in an event and like make that work it's a big challenge i'm yeah. sure i'm sure some of the very very smart people are going to figure it out at, at the in the mcu but i think it's a big challenge i think it's uh yeah. i think They're it's one of the reasons yeah yeah you know that I, and I always say on the show which is <laughs> who's she gonna fight <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As characters I get mean, more powerful, it's who's she gonna fight? <laughs> yes, I mean it's a problem we deal with in the comics, and they've got that same problem in the films. And I think um, I'll be very excited to see uh, the Marvels uh, mm. because I think it's going to let us know, mm-hmm. like how they're gonna approach this. Like how are they gonna, you know. I mean, is it yeah. going to be a thing where Carol gets partially depowered at one point because they realize mm-hmm. they've created a monster? And so do we introduce yeah. Rogue at that point? Like, I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a million different ways it could go. But, you know, Very I do like fire. while I don't want to see Carol depowered a lot or all the time or permanently in any way, I do like that as a theme for her, which I think is obvious to anyone that's read Maya Carroll's stuff, not just the idea of her having to deal with her power being limited, but her having to deal with people wanting her power or wanting to take it from her. <laughs> it's a really powerful thematic thing. And I think it's a really powerful thematic thing for women in general. And so mm-hmm. it's relatable if on a different scale. So I've always loved that about Carol, where it's like, all my girl want to do is fly, and people yeah. want to take that from her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she gets up, because fuck you. Because fuck you. <laughs> I know, that's right. All right, well, that brings us to the end of this panel section. Kelly, thank you so much for yes. uh, joining us. Uh, this was fantastic. Um, where can the people find you out there? Uh, where would you like to promote? Go ahead. 
Sure, sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at 79semifinalist. And you can also find me on my new Substack, which is 1979semifinalist.substack.com. I'll be going there after this. For real. <laughs> I hope right. you guys find some stuff you like. <laughs> I'm definitely going to subscribe. <laughs> All right, mm-hmm. Charles, let's, let's take a break and then we'll come right back. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Not only was she something, but I will say again, I think this has made me restand Miss Madeline Pryor. It's time oh. to punch the card again. And then because not only because not only did we after we read this, I went back and read the um the Secret Wars Inferno mini mm-hmm. that came out during that whole thing, and it was like just five issues. And Dennis Hopeless wrote it, and Maddie was given in that too. I was like, I actually think uh. I actually think that was like probably the most well-written Madeline Pryor we've ever seen post, like, Claremont. I didn't care too much about Maddie to keep following, so I did not know that. <laughs> but uh, I remember when that series came out. She's hot. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I I, I went I went on a little... I, I left my girl for a little bit, but I think I'm, I think I'm coming back. And then she's coming back in Hellions. I saw. And she's then maybe coming- in New Mutants, too. Right. And then a new mutants to challenge magic for limbo. Hmm. All right, y'all. Well, welcome back to the another reread section of the show where we're going to be talking about part two of Inferno. And um, I still stand by what I said about this series. Still iconic. I think it's still one of my favorite like X Men events. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really enjoy the way that it like affected the Marvel Universe while well, yeah. and like brought in everybody without like taking everything over. And um like I've said before, if there's one thing about magic that's fun, it's a good punching bag. We love a good punching bag. So plenty of demons for the people to fight. <laughs> on his back. For years apparently. For years. For decades. <laughs> for decades. This is decades later. So. Like look at this. So. Look at this. It's your you just said it's one of your favorite X events. But you don't like magic. I'll give it to it. (laughs) I'll give it to it. I'll admit. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, like, this event pretty much is all about, like, I'm sorry, this part of the event is all of the crazy shenanigans pretty much all coming to a head. We get um, Madeline and uh, I can never pronounce the demon's name. Nastier? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, Nazir. Nazir. Yeah. Okay. Sim, Nazir. I know Sam. Velasco. The other ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you get all this and um, the the culmination of um, Madeline and all of her plans and how she's basically being, becoming the Goblin Queen. And... Yeah. Uh, this is, in my opinion, where it becomes that she's now being written as the, this is where we're going to, like, just end her. Because yeah. uh, it, it felt like she had a a kind of real, quote-unquote, trajectory before this. 
um, where she was just like the human gene, in my yeah. opinion. It's just a story that um, Claremont wanted to tell with Jean becoming a human. But then they wanted to bring Jean Grey actually back, so we had to get rid of her. And this this second part of Inferno feels like, all right, now we're just going to make her just... Crazy, crazy. irredeemable, mean, nasty woman. She tries to kill her baby. She tries to kill all these other babies. Um, We do this, and, like, we never bring her back. I don't think they realize how many people would actually enjoy that. (laughs) I don't think so either. (laughs) I don't think they realize that the gays of us are standing because she was in this costume... <laughs> the tits are out. The slit yeah. is there. She puts havoc in this Which little I didn't fetish outfit. Was is basically like you know a sexed up version of Jean's black black dress. Yeah, I never realized that. Like back when I was reading it, you know, years ago, until oh, this yeah. most recent reread, I was like, oh snap, that's her dress. Just she got that the big hair. She looks good. She's powerful. I'm. She's a she's a hit. I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know what you want. I don't know what sold you want. She, I, she sold her soul, I guess, technically for the magic powers, uh, right? She's a witch. The gays love a witch, and it, it's just she's history. She's her mm. history. I'm sorry. Made and made it, havoc her little goblin slave. That put was him in a cute. nice little fetish doll outfit. Yeah. Like again, something else for the gays to look at. Once you get the gays, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Once you get the gays, <laughs> you're good. You're good. So she's a hot girl. I mean, again, I think this story for Madeline is uh, pretty depressing and sad. As we yeah. said, you know, the original thing was for her to just kind of be this human woman who happened to look like Jean. She was dragged through the mud. She became the one who had to be the bad guy and do all these bad things to make, I don't know, Cyclops look better for leaving her. And the baby? Yeah, I don't know. Again, she, Jean, I'm sorry, uh, Madeline, <laughs> oops, Madeline just never really felt like a real character to me. It always, she always felt like a kind of a a prop to like fill in games. Yeah, a stand-in for something that happened, that editorial kind of like caused a change or whatever, Yeah. you know? Or, or instead of Claremont just kind of changing his story, it was like, well, no, I don't care. I'm just going to keep the same story. I'll just bring in Madeline to be the human version of Jean and go from there. Mm. It was, it's a sad. She was given a sad hand. Um, and then, you know, years later, she kind of just was like, again, dragged through the mud of the characters. It was like different versions of her, alternate realities, ghost versions, resurrection, dies again, bringing that spot back. Um, so now she's in like this weird space again. And now she she gets you fans every time. Every, every time, time she comes around with appearance. <laughs> I, but so you know, I will say I think a big thing about her and whatever's happening post um, Hellions and with New Mutants, I think that a couple of things are going to have to change for Madeline to like really pop and like have be cemented. I know everybody loves the Goblin Queen outfit. I know everybody loves Sex Aversion, but she got to change that costume. Yeah. Like, if you want to move her forward, even if even if the story of New Mutants has her fighting magic for Limbo, even if she gets control of Limbo, she has to change that costume. Like, keep her the Goblin Queen, whatever. Keep the big hair, because that looks good. Keep the thigh-high boots, because those look good. But, like, we got to change some other stuff around. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Chris Anka tried when they brought her back for that sisterhood arc, and they, but that looked weird. And to me. they she had, had to give her that bang. 
the little bang suit with the bun she had on the black uh, leather outfit, but then she had on khaki pants. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we could like kept those like black leather or something like that. So, but they gotta do something. They gotta like kind of reinvigorate the look. They'll have to obviously move her past. I don't know. Do you think they'll give her and Gene a moment? Mm, I mean, I'd assume so. They're so like tied to each other. She's a, she's a clone of Gene, so yeah, they'd have um, to have some kind of moment. I don't know what you do with her. I feel like. I feel like it's always a shock value that they bring her back around. And I mean, I agree with that. I think for Maddie to be back now, it's either got to be played up one of two ways. She's going to be on there causing some mess, trying to steal limbo from magic, trying to irritate Scott. I think if you just like show her as an annoyance to Scott, like it'll be kind of fun. Just to start <laughs> I also think you kind of have to, like, if you want to make her a real character, you got to start delving into her. Is she going to try and repair the relationship she has with her actual son, Nathan? Is mm-hmm. she, if she is going to get over all the stuff that she's been mad at Scott and Jean about, how is she going to start to heal from that? Is she actually going to stay with Alex? I would say no to that because, like, That's don't weird. nobody need to be with Alex. But, you know, how does she start to heal past these traumas? How do you finally make her move and feel like a real character? Which I yeah. think, which I think, if they're gonna do it, it can be done. I'm not gonna. Do lie. they? Do they need to do it? I mean, it's happening. I guess that's true. It or you just, or you just keep her in villain mode, but in like you know, Goblin Queen again. She takes over Limbo. She's like ruling all of that, but like, keep her in that. Like she just has to become just a villain. Yeah, make the and again, I think that was a really good thing about that uh, Secret Wars Inferno mini that like she was in that her whole thing. She was like, "I am the Goblin Queen. I need a kingdom. Give me Limbo." Magic is like a bad fit. She's stupid. She don't know what she's doing. She barely knows her magic. The demons I don't, don't think she's stupid. I don't think she's so stupid. Like, <laughs> she didn't say stupid, but <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so, you know, she goes through it and she, like, helps Colossus and them. they end up killing the Dark Child and, like, she gets some of that power and she, like, controls it fine and here she is, now the Queen of Limbo with her little son Cable. That was a really good story for Madeline. It was like, okay, you see it, you get the motivations, you get the personality. I think you have to do something like that for her in this main continuity or else you just keep going, like, fighting the ghost. Hmm. It feels like they're always just fighting a ghost anytime they bring her back around. So, either make her real or move on. Um, I will say again, like Inferno for me, I would love to see it either in live action. I used to really want an animated version of like this uh, Ooh, that would entire be- event. I think that would be really dope, like a little animated movie. Yeah, I think that would actually look real. I think it would help a lot too, especially with the monster design. Everybody doesn't do monster right? design, too, but like. When you got some good monster design, that shows up in animation. And animation? If the folks who did Castlevania, Dracula's Demons, yeah, that's right there. That would be fine, yeah. I've always wanted Inferno like that, like an animated movie thing that we do. Again, wasn't too mad at Polaris in this. I understand she gets (laughs) uh, stomped. But again, you know, everybody can't fight Storm. (laughs) <laughs> Think about it, y'all. Can can your fave fight Storm? No. So boom. Mine came. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but she wouldn't. That's the thing. Right. Um, right. 
Yeah. And again, I like, I kind of like, I wouldn't mind this if they ever brought this into live action or if they were to do this and they started their own animated universe or something. I'm totally fine with a evil, like bad Lorna starting as a villain. They don't need to do a whole like possessed thing and like try to wash it away be- and whatever. It's okay for her to be get like, I don't know, redeemed or something like that. Okay. Um, Betsy has, I mean, Betsy like didn't do too much in Inferno. It wasn't really her mess, but she came in when she needed to be. That little moment with her and Jean and like sinking their powers is like, yeah, a nice little iconic moment between them. Um, they do that. Her, yeah, do that. I do. She plays her general role, like she listens to Storm, and we're still, but she understands mm-hmm. like what y'all got going on over there. <laughs> <laughs> It was cool to see the uh, Storm and Jean reunion, which was like, you know, mm-hmm. iconic now because it was brought back around as like a remembrance during the whole Hoxpox era when Jean uh, was reborn and resurrected. You know, mm-hmm. she said, you know, I'm the only me there ever was. And it was kind of a whole like flashback to the time. So I thought that was really cute she to see this happen. moment again. Yeah. I will say, I don't like how, I mean, Cyclops basically comes out scot free on this event. Uh, you know I don't know I don't know I don't necessarily think I need anything to happen to Cyclops or for him to like take any accountability anymore it A has been so long we've seen so many versions of my line he's kind of like he said how he feels about it and like how he kind of wishes some things would have went differently that's fine but I think again if Madeline comes back there's just got to be one more conversation between the two of them to be like... Again? We got to talk about this again. You have to. You have to. Because because now because now you're in a space of, like, living on this island together. They've never lived in harmony, all three of them. Okay. You know what I'm saying? You kind of got to get this spot. Again, like, Nathan's there. Um, Scott's there. Gene's there. Emma's there. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Logan's there. Logan's there. Now you add in Madeline, another... <laughs> that's, a, that's a full house. Yeah, so it's like, they kind of have to have a conversation now to just be like, what's going, like, don't come, either you stay on your side of the island and I'll stay on mine, or are we going to be, like, friendly? Mm. Which could be interesting. So I, I have, I will say, I know some people have said they would like to see uh, Gene and Scott break up and kind of be like, the divorced friends. Oh. I wouldn't okay. mind if I wouldn't mind if that happened for Madeline. Okay. Right. And his ex. Like, this like that's is just like his baby mama. Yeah. Like we get along. But it's like <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's like we, we co-parent. We got a cool. We got a kid together, so it's like you know, get she get him one weekend, I get him the next. Da, 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 that type of situation, and yeah. just keep it moving. I don't need them to like be on a team together, hanging out all the time. It's just like when she come around. I think truly the story will be how Maddie, Maddie and Cable interact, mm. and then by proxy, Maddie and Hope. Oh, that's the dynamic that you want to see. I do want to see Madeline and Hope. I would be interested in that. Like, what do they have going on? If they decide to make Madeline like a legitimately like fully realized character, there. Yeah. Again, she is going to fight magic for Limbo. She might just go full Goblin Queen and be a villain, and we gotta, you know. Right. Yeah. Which also I would not be mad at. I think that Mm -hmm. we need a couple more villains 
like they do they do that stand out some some newer ones that kind of like really make the mark yeah what would you end up like rating this entire event as a crossover you know as a marvel event so i would out of all of it, I definitely probably would give it like a four out of five. I think it still stands up very well. I think the story's still very interesting. I think mm-hmm. the themes that go around, I think a lot of the tie-ins, which obviously we didn't read all the tie-ins, but a lot of the tie-ins like in New Mutants, um, with like Magic and the Dark Child stuff, and Excalibur with Megan and becoming like the Goblin Princess and like other world stuff mixed in there. I think there was like Fantastic Four tie-ins. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like how, I think how you said like, it felt like it was in the Marvel universe. Like, even though, like, the X-Men weren't, it was mainly an X-Men event. Like, everybody else was still kind of dealing from the fallout from it, but it didn't really take over the events, which I think is something that a lot of other events need to learn or remember how to do. Please remember it. (laughs) (laughs) And it feels good. It, like, the story is still kind of satisfying, depending on who you're a fan of. And uh, people get their chances to shine and do their own thing, but the story still stays centralized around the characters who it needs to be around. Yeah, I agree. I had a really great time with this event. It still really held up from when I remember reading it back in the day. Um, and I think I read it like maybe a few years ago. That was a while ago. Um, and I'm getting old. <laughs> so this really, really like reminded me again just how like this is a great X event. Um, and just a great like Marvel event because like I said the ripples of it are felt throughout like the Marvel universe and it makes mm-hmm. things feel more lived in and I wouldn't mind when books kind of did that more often yeah I used to love a good like and I, I think I talk about it all the time but I think about those old 70s issues where Gene and Misty Knight were roommates yeah and, and Scott was dating Colleen Wing and Storm would go visit the place where her dad grew up and she'd run into like Luke Cage and Misty Knight like st- or they'd just be out on dates and like Spider-Man would be swinging past stuff mm-hmm. like that is fun sometimes I am personally a fan of when my heroes get along I know right I know everybody don't like the Avengers and to pop up in X books or the X-Men to go get involved in Avengers business which now Phoenix is Avengers business if we're being honest so it's like I mean, at this point she just had just as many stories um <laughs> really so i'm always going to be here for that so i do love when stuff like that happens yeah all right y'all well that brings us to the end of the show be sure to check us out wherever you listen to your podcast please rate and subscribe uh, we really appreciate all the love and um you can find us on twitter and um, I'm sorry, you can find us on Twitter at another relaunch. I was going to say my own. <laughs> you can find me. Keenan, <laughs> where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Keenan Lance. You know there is an underscore at the end. And again, a very special thank you to Kelly Thompson for hanging out with yes. us today and talking thank about that so fun stuff. Make sure you check out all of her books, Black Widow, Captain Marvel. Get ready for her stuff on Substack. Um, um, she's like a multiple Eisner winner at this point. She yes, don't miss. Please make sure you uh, support Kelly Thompson. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, let's get up out of here. <laughs>